Welcome to the Literary Adventure Society. You're listening to Sherlock Holmes in a Scandal in Bohemia. Irene Adler. To Sherlock Holmes, she is always the woman. I have seldom heard him mention her under any other name. In his eyes, she eclipses and predominates the whole of her sex. It was not that he felt any emotions akin to love for Irene Adler. It was my opinion that he was incapable of that strongest of emotions. All emotions, and that one particularly, are abhorrent to me. Yes, yes, you have said so before. Love is abhorrent to your cold, precise mind. Those were not the words I used. Excuse my embellishments, but Holmes, you must confess, you may be the most perfect reasoning and observing machine that the world has seen, but as a lover, you would be a disgrace. You cannot even speak of the softer passion, save with a jibe and a sneer. For a trained reasoner like myself, to admit such intrusions into his own delicate and finely adjusted temperament is akin to grit in a sensitive instrument or a crack in one of his own high-power lenses. It could not be more disturbing. And do you find my love for Mary to cloud my judgment so terribly? Ah, and there it is different, Watson. You and I are not alike. Your reasoning is already clouded by the thousands of minutiae that pass before your eyes each day. To fall in love with and marry a woman is but one more distraction. It merely takes its place alongside the others. Mary will be tickled to hear that she has been referred to both as a minutia and a distraction by the great Sherlock Holmes. Your wife will not be offended by comments about marriage. She has spent enough time with me to know my ways, Watson. And to that end, Sherlock, we have not spent enough time with you. You have kept yourself holed up here in Baker Street, buried among your books, and alternating from week to week between cocaine and ambition. Bah! I have seen too little of you, Holmes. From time to time I hear some vague account about your doings, but these are all things that I can read in the paper. I am not to be blamed for that, Watson. It is your marriage that has set adrift our professional acquaintance, your own happiness and the home-centred interests which rise up absorb all your attention and leave little time for the study of crime. And yet Mary and I have sent invitations. I will not be attending any dinner parties, my dear friend, in your home or in any other. I suppose that was a bit of a reach on our part. But we must put this good-spirited bickering behind us, Watson. You may be almost completely lost to domestication, but there is a glimmer of hope. Just what do you mean by that? You found your way to Baker Street tonight, did you not? Then let us leave the past in the past and instead have a pleasant catch-up. There is no need. I can learn all I need to know with a little careful observation. Wedlock suits you, Watson. You have put on seven and a half pounds since I saw you. Just seven? Indeed, I should have thought a little more. And you did not tell me that you intended to go return to your medical practice. Then how do you know? I see it. I deduce it. 
How do I know that you have lately been out in bad weather and that you have a most clumsy and careless servant girl? <laughs> My dear Holmes, this is too much. You would certainly have been burned had you lived a few centuries ago. It is true that I had a country walk on Thursday and came home in a dreadful mess, but as I have changed my clothes, I can't imagine how you deduce it. And as to Jane, she is incorrigible, and my wife has given her notice, but there again, I fail to see how you work it out. <laughs> it is simplicity itself. My eyes tell me that on the inside of your left shoe the leather is scored by almost six parallel cuts. Obviously they have been caused by someone who has very carelessly scraped round the edges of the sole in order to remove crusted mud from it. Hence you see my double deduction, that you had been out in vile weather, and that you had a particularly malignant boot-slitting specimen of housemaid. As to your practice... If a gentleman walks into my rooms smelling of iodoform and with a bulge on the right side of his top hat to show where he has secreted his stethoscope, I must be dull indeed if I do not pronounce him to be an active member of the medical profession. <laughs> when I hear you give your reasons, the thing always appears to me to be so ridiculously simple that I could easily do it myself though I am baffled until you explain your process. And yet I believe that my eyes are as good as yours. Quite so. You see, but you do not observe. The distinction is clear. On the contrary, I observe a good deal. When I first arrived at Baker Street, you were pacing the room with great energy, and in the time I've been here, you have stolen more than one glance towards the window. You are at work again. You are hot upon the scent of some new problem. Well deduced, Watson. I see our partnership has not been in vain. Since you are interested in these little problems, and since you are good enough to chronicle one or two of my trifling experiences, you may be interested in this. It came by the last post. If we are to take the case, I fancy we may refer to it as Evidence A. This is indeed a mystery. What do you imagine that it means? I have no data yet. It is a capital mistake to theorise before one has data. Insensibly, one begins to twist facts to suit theories, instead of theories to suit facts. But the note itself, what do you deduce from it? The man who wrote it was presumably well-to-do. Such paper would not be bought under half a crown a packet. It is particularly strong and stiff. Particular. That is the very word. Hold it up to the light. There's an imprint. It appears to be a crest. A crowned lion. I say it is familiar, although I cannot quite place it. Perhaps further investigation will serve to loosen the memory. Look at the message itself. Do you note the peculiar construction of the sentence, This account of you we have from all quarters received. The writer is not a native English speaker. The man who wrote the note is most assuredly a German. A Frenchman or Russian could not have written that. It is the German who is so uncourteous to his verbs. It only remains, therefore, to discover what is wanted by this German who writes upon expensive crested paper and prefers wearing a mask to showing his face. I say, Holmes, I've just placed it. And this morning's Hound and Herald... 
And this will be he, if the clock on the mantel is not mistaken. I think that I had better go, Holmes. Not a bit, Doctor. Stay where you are. I am lost without my Boswell. And this promises to be interesting. It would be a pity to miss it. But your client... Never mind him. I may want your help, and so may he. Here he comes. Sit down in that armchair, Doctor, and give us your best attention. Come in. A man entered who could hardly have been less than six feet six inches in height, with the chest and limbs of a Hercules. His dress was lavish with a richness which would in England be looked upon as akin to bad taste. He wore across the upper part of his face, extending down past his cheekbones, a black vizard mask. From the lower part of his face, he appeared to be a man of strong, perhaps even obstinate character. You had my knot? I told you that I would call. Hmm? Pray, take a seat. Whom have I the honor to address? You may address me as the Count von Kram, a bohemian nobleman. Yes, Bohemia. In this morning's paper, there was an article about the arrival of a diplomatic envoy from Bohemia, all flying the flag, a silver lion on a field of red. Who is this man? May I introduce my colleague, Dr. John Watson. Mm. He is a man of honour and discretion. Can he be trusted with a matter of the most extreme importance? If not... I should much prefer to communicate with you alone. It is both or none. You may say before this gentleman anything which you may say before me. (sighs) Then I must begin by binding you both to absolute secrecy for two years. At the end of that time, the matter will be of no importance. At present, it is not too much to say that it is of such a weight that it may have an influence upon European history. I promise. And I. You will excuse this mask? Hmm? The person who employs me wishes his agent to be unknown to you. I may confess at once that the title which I have just called myself is not exactly my own. I was aware of it. The circumstances are of great delicacy, and every precaution has to be taken to quench what might grow to be an immense scandal. To speak plainly, the matter implicates the great house of Ormstein, Hereditary kings of Bohemia. I was also aware of that. And if your majesty would condescend to state your case, I should be better able to advise you. Ah! 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 You're right, I am the king. Why should I attempt to conceal it? This mask serves me no purpose now. Ah! Why indeed? Neither the mask nor your ambitious attempt to disguise your voice could conceal your identity to me. Your Majesty had not spoken before I was aware that I was addressing Wilhelm Gottschreich Sigismund von Ormstein, 
Grand Duke of Castle Felstein, and Hereditary King of Bohemia. But you can understand that I am not accustomed to doing such business in my own person. It's a matter was so delicate that I could not confide it to an agent without putting myself in this power. I have come from Prague for the purpose of consulting you. Then pray, consult. The facts are briefly these. Some uh, five years ago, during a lengthy visit to Warsaw, I made the acquaintance of a well-known adventurous, Irene Adler. The name is no doubt familiar to you. Kindly look her up in my index, Doctor. Your index? It is really quite an exhaustive catalogue. You see, Holmes has adopted a system of docketing all paragraphs concerning men and really all things. Of shoes and ships and sealing wax. Of cabbages and kings. Uh, um... I is the subject of such a card in your catalogue? Of course. And just what does that card say? Here she is, Irene Adler. Her card is sandwiched in between that of a Hebrew rabbi and that of a staff commander who had written a monograph upon the deep-sea fishes. A very enlightening paper. A deep-sea squid is a marvellous creature of which we know little. But I digress. Let me see Adler's card, Watson. I shall present it to you, Holmes, and perhaps we'll call this one Evidence B. Your Majesty, as I understand, became entangled with this young person, wrote her some compromising letters, and is now desirous of getting those letters back. Precisely so. But how did you know that this is... Was there a secret marriage? None. No legal papers or certificates. None. Then I fail to follow, Your Majesty. If this young person should produce her letters for blackmailing or other purposes, how is she to prove their authenticity? There is the writing. Pooh, pooh. Forgery. My private note paper. Stolen. This my own seal. Imitated. My own photograph. What? We were both in the photograph. Were you... Touching? We were. Oh dear, that is very bad. Your Majesty has indeed committed an indiscretion. I was mad, insane. I was only crown prince then. I, I was young. It must be recovered. We have tried and failed. Your Majesty must pay. It must be bought. She will not sell. Stolen then. Five attempts have been made. Twice burglars in my pay ransacked her house. Once we diverted her luggage, then she traveled. Twice she has been waylaid. There has been no result. <laughs> it is quite a pretty little problem. But a very serious one to me. I am about to be married. So I have heard. To Cortilde Lothman von, von Saxon-Meningen, yes. The second daughter of the King of Scandinavia. You are well informed. In which case you may know that the strict principles of her family. A shadow of a doubt as to my conduct would bring the matter to an end. And this alliance is of great importance to you. 
it is important to all of Europe. I'm afraid His Majesty does not exaggerate in this case. The succession and future leadership of the Austro-Hungarian Empire is a point of great concern to many countries, including our own. An alliance with the Scandinavian throne could ensure the future of Bohemia. As well as provide great stability to the political landscape of Europe. Yes, I see very clearly why absolute discretion for the next two years is vital. And what does Irene Adler intend to do with the photograph? She threatens to send the photograph to the princess. And she will do it. I know she will do it. You do not know her, but she has the soul of steel. She has the face of the most beautiful of women and the mind of the most resolute of men. Rather than that I should marry another woman, there are no lengths to which she would not go. None. You are sure that she has not sent it yet? I am sure. She has said that she would send it on the day that the betrothal was publicly proclaimed. That will be next Monday. Oh, then we have three days yet. That is very fortunate, as I have one or two matters of importance to look into just at present. It is imperative that this matter be cleared up as soon as possible. Three days will be quite sufficient. Your Majesty will, of course, stay in London for the present. Certainly. You will find me at the Langham under the name of Count von Kram. Then I shall drop you a line to let you know how we progress. Pray do so. I, I, I shall be all anxiety. Then, as to money? You have carte blanche. Absolutely. I tell you that I would give one of the provinces of my kingdom to have that photograph. One other question. Was the photograph cabinet-sized? It was. Then, good night, Your Majesty. And I trust that we shall soon have some good news for you. This promises to be quite a pretty puzzle, and we must start on it immediately. But the other cases you mentioned... Boring. Not worth my time. But surely, Holmes, if someone has already engaged your services, you must uphold your commitment. <laughs> I have missed you, Watson. You always keep me to task. I am expecting a client tomorrow morning. If you would do me the great favour of meeting with her, I may start on this far more interesting problem without delay. I hardly know if I'm qualified. Nonsense! You know my methods. And if the case is a bore, send her away. I will not be distracted by trivialities when there is something better afoot. Then I am only too happy to help. But my favour comes at a price. You must tell me everything you uncover during your morning's activities. I admit that I've become very interested already. A bargain. Until tomorrow, my friend. The next day found me haunting Sherlock's study, waiting the arrival of our client. I admit that I was at once both nervous and excited. Surely it was a mark of my friend's great trust in my abilities 
that he would allow me to see one of his clients alone. I confess that, in an attempt to ease my nerves, I asked Mrs. Hudson to doctor my tea with a splash of brandy. However, once administered, I found that I could not get her to quit the room. It's only when Sherlock goes out for a predetermined length of time that I can get any dusting done. I don't dare otherwise. If he were to come home and catch me in the act... He does love his mess, but perhaps another time might be... I suppose he finds calm amidst the chaos. But it is my strong opinion that someone who will go on ad nauseum about the need for an organized mind should be equally enamored of a tidy room. That must be her. Hello. You must be here to see Mr. Holmes. Can I have your name? My name is Madame Montpensier. I have an appointment. Uh, yes, come right in, Madame. Please have a seat. And you are Sherlock Holmes, the great detective? I am his colleague and confidant, Dr. Watson. It is possible that you have heard my name in connection with his. <laughs> I have not. <laughs> I will leave you to it, Doctor. Ring if you need anything. More tea? Another nip of brandy? Yes, that will do, Mrs. Hudson. Thank you. I am afraid that Sherlock was called away on another case this morning and has yet to return, but he only did so knowing that your concern would be in good hands. If you will illuminate me as to what brings you here, I will take detailed notes of our conversation that I will pass on to Sherlock, and if I can find an answer to your little problem before the end of our interview, all the better. It is not a little problem at all. Perhaps you have read of it. The newspaper men have been hounding my door for the past week. Ah, yes. Madame Montpensier. I have indeed. Your daughter... Stepdaughter. Yes, stepdaughter, Miss Carrere, has gone missing. And you would like Sherlock and myself to find her. If it is necessary. I am afraid I don't quite understand, madame. I would hardly call the girl missing. She comes and goes as she pleases. I see. The police have recently uncovered a clue, as they so boldly call it. One of my best dresses, stuffed in the bottom of an old trunk, stained scarlet with blood. I see. I would like to hire Monsieur Holmes to keep me from being arrested for murder. If you must find the girl, in order to prove that she's still alive, then so be it. Do you have another photograph of Miss Career? The one that's been circulated in the newspaper is not particularly useful for identification. I do not. The girl is not very photogenic, I'm afraid. I see. I am afraid that in the light of discovery of the bloodstains, we must consider the possibility that the girl may be dead. It's much more likely that she's run off with a man. Those types always do. Those types? Bohemians, I believe. Is the fashionable term? Bohemian? I say... Artists, dancers, young women who drink in cafes. Surely you know the type. Uh, yes. What can you tell me about the dress? When had you last worn the garment in question? The night the girl disappeared, of course. Oh, dear. And can you explain how the blood may have gotten on the dress? How am I to know where the blood came from? This is what I'd like to pay you to do. If my colleague and I are to be successful, I must know exactly what you were doing that night your stepdaughter went missing. Absolutely no. 
Excuse me? That is none of your business. I am afraid that my hands are tied, Madame Montpantier. If you are not willing to take me into your confidence, there is very little that I or Sherlock Holmes can do for you. I will relay all of that you've told me to Sherlock, but I do not want to leave you with false hope. If the man is as good a detective as the papers say, my words that I am not a murderer should be enough. I will see myself out, Dr. Watson. I would not trouble you further. Following the departure of Madame Montpensier, I sat down beside the fire with the intention of awaiting Sherlock's return. It was close upon four before the door opened, and a drunken-looking groom, ill-kempt and side-whiskered, with an inflamed face and disreputable clothes, walked into the room. Where is he? That eyebrow meddler. Holmes, his name is. Excuse me, sir, but to barge into a man's home. He was making eyes at my wife, and I mean to show him how I deal with that kind of man. That's patently untrue. Holmes would never. <gasps> <laughs> Holmes, good God, it's you. I was quite taken in. You look revolting. Well, really. <laughs> you must forgive me, dear friend. I could not resist trying my roll out one last time today. It has been an extraordinary day. I am sure you could never guess how I employed my morning. I can't imagine... I suppose that you have been watching the habits and perhaps the house of Miss Irene Adler. Quite so. But the sequel was rather unusual. Settle in, Watson. I will tell you all. I left the house a little after eight o'clock this morning in the character of an out-of-work groom. There is a wonderful sympathy and freemasonry among horsey men. Be one of them and you will know all that there is to know. I soon found Bryony Lodge. Down the street, I found a gaggle of off-duty cabmen. I lent the cabbies a hand in rubbing down their horses and received in exchange tuppence, a glass of half-and-half, half, two fills of shag tobacco, and as much information as I could desire about Miss Adler, to say nothing of half a dozen other people in the neighborhood in whom I was not the least interested, but whose biographies I was compelled to listen to. And what can you tell me of the woman who lives in the lodge just there? That drum there? Uh, Miss Adler's place. Mm -mm -mm. She's sure, and turned all the men's heads down in this part. Daintiest thing under the bonnet she is. <laughs> I suppose that bit of jam must be stirring up all kinds of trouble with the local lads. No, not a bit of it. She's a quiet one. Keeps to herself and her home, she does. She's her own body, but I wouldn't call her a recluse. She goes out with saying when it's called for. The voice of an angel she is. She's a professional. Professional singer, that is. Not the other kind of professional. With her look, she'd make a mint as that sort of professional. <laughs> <laughs> but she doesn't need to, does she? She makes a brass on her voice. Besides, she's got herself a gent, hasn't she? A regular beau. He comes calling once a day. Some days twice. <laughs> Mr. Godfrey Norton. Mm. He's a knobby sort. Not a bad-looking bloke either. I don't mind saying so. Mm, it's a good match, all right. He's a lucky bloke. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Watson. 
see the advantages of a cabman as a confidant? They had driven the man home a dozen times and knew all about him. Apparently, Godfrey Norton is a lawyer. That sounds ominous. Agreed. What is the relation between him and Adler, and what is the object of his repeated visits? Is Adler his client, his friend, or his mistress? If she is the former, she has probably transferred the photograph to his keeping. But if she is the latter, it is less likely. I was still balancing the matter in my mind when a hansom cab drove up to Bryony Lodge and a gentleman sprang out. That's the gent, Godfrey Norton himself. Why, he's run into the house. Something must be amiss. I say, fellow, can you see what he's doing in there from where you stand? He's waving his arms all about, pacing up and down. He's kicking up quite a shine, if you ask me. Oh, and here he comes back out. Hey, you there. Cabby. What can I do you for, Governor? I'd like to engage your services. Drive like the devil to the Church of St. Monica in the Edgware Road. Half a guinea if you do it in 20 minutes. Yes, sir. Look lively, mate. Here comes a lady. You, sir. Take me to the Church of St. Monica, and half a sovereign if you reach it in 20 minutes. Uh, yes, miss. I suppose you'll be wanting a lift too, governor. <laughs> Not bad, old boy. How did you know? I had a hunch. This ain't my first go-round. What's your name, friend? You can call me Bert. In that case, Bert, to the Church of St. Monica, and a full sovereign if you reach it in 20 minutes. Of course, it was clear enough what was in the wind. My cabbie drove fast, but the others were there before us. I paid the man and hurried into the church. There was not a soul there, save the two whom I had followed and a clergyman. They were all three standing in a knot in front of the altar. I lounged up the side aisle like any other idler who has dropped into a church. Suddenly, to my surprise, the three at the altar faced round to me and the lady pointed down the aisle right at my person. What about him? My darling, Irene, you are brilliant. What then? Come, man, come, come. We only need three minutes of your time or it won't be legal. If you can, please be quick about it, Father. I tell you, Watson, before I knew where I was, I found myself generally assisting in the secure tying up of Irene Adler spinster to Godfrey Norton, bachelor. It was all done in an instant, with myself serving as witness. There was the gentleman thanking me on the one side and the lady on the other, while the clergyman beamed on me in front. It was the most preposterous position in which I ever found myself in my life. The bride gave me a sovereign, and I mean to wear it on my watch chain in memory of the occasion. Oh, this is a very unexpected turn of affairs. And what happened then? My beautiful wife, I hate to leave you, even for a second. Don't be silly, Godfrey. I shall drive out in the park at five as usual. I will see you then. I heard no more. They drove away in different directions, and I went off to obtain a copy of the marriage license from the clergyman, for sentimental reasons, which I now submit to you, John, as evidence C. And now for some cold beef and a glass of beer. I have been too busy to think of food, and I am likely to be busier still this evening. By the way, Doctor, how did your morning progress? Uneventful by comparison. The appointment this morning was admittedly a bust. I proceeded to recount my earlier encounter to Holmes, 
and much to my astonishment, rather than dismiss my narrative as uninteresting, he got up and started pacing the room. Hand me the newspaper, will you, Watson? I admit I have not yet read the latest report on Miss Carrere. Well, there might be something of interest in this case after all. A bloody dress, you say? Send Detective Lestrade a message. Get Scotland Yard to send a snip of the stained dress over to Baker Street. Certainly. It is fortunate that you talked me into taking this morning's client, old friend. The case is afoot. Now, if you are game, I shall want your cooperation again this evening with the Adler case. I shall be delighted. You don't mind breaking the law? Not in the least. Nor running a chance of arrest? Not in a good cause. Oh, the cause is excellent. Then I am your man. I was sure I might rely on you. But what is it you wish? It is nearly five now. In two hours we must be on the scene of action. Miss Irene, or Madame, rather, returns from her drive at seven. We must be at Bryony Lodge to meet her. And what then? You must leave that to me. I have already arranged what is to occur. There is only one point on which I must insist. You must not interfere, come what may. You understand? I am to do nothing whatsoever. There will probably be some small unpleasantness. Do not join in it. It will end in my being conveyed into the house. You are to station yourself close to the front window. Yes. And when the window opens, you will throw into the room what I give you to throw, and will, at the same time, raise the cry of fire. You quite follow me? Entirely. The object is nothing very formidable. It is an ordinary plumber's smoke rocket. Your task is confined to that. You may then walk to the end of the street, and I will rejoin you in ten minutes. I hope that I have made myself clear. You may entirely rely on me. That is excellent. I think perhaps it is almost time that I prepare for the new role I have to play. Holmes disappeared into his bedroom and returned in a few minutes in the character of an amiable clergyman. Not just in his costume, but also his sympathetic smile and general look of peering and benevolent curiosity was such as Mr. John Hare alone could have equaled. His expression, his manner, his very soul seemed to vary with every fresh part that he assumed. I say, Watson, would you recognize me if we were to meet on the street? <laughs> the characterization is spot on. The stage lost a fine actor when you became a specialist in crime. <laughs> It was already dusk when we found ourselves loitering on the street before Bryony Lodge. For a small street in a quiet neighborhood, it is remarkably animated. Indeed. Now, as to the case at hand, where are we to find the photograph? Where indeed? It is most unlikely that she carries it about with her. It is a cabinet-sized photograph and too large for easy concealment about a woman's dress. The pockets and purses foisted upon women by fashionable society are not conductive to carrying anything larger than a watch. We may take it, then, that she does not carry it about with her. Where, then? Women are naturally secretive, and they like to do their own secreting. Why should she hand it over to anyone else when she could trust her own guardianship? 
Besides, remember that she had resolved to use it within a few days. It must be where she can lay her hands upon it. It must be in her own house. But it has twice been burglared. Pshaw! They did not know how to look. But how will you look? I will not look. What then? I will get her to show me. But she will refuse. She will not be able to. But I hear the rumble of wheels. It is her carriage. Now carry out my orders to the letter. And this clergyman will see you again when the deed has been done. Let me get a carriage door for you, ma'am. I've got a door already. Oi, get off, you rotter. No need to argue, gentlemen. I can open my own door. I got get your palms off it. Oh, my God. Really got me there, did you know? If I can just get to my door. Every one of you is in my way. Watch your hands. Oh, oh dear. He's bleeding. Which of you rotters hit the poor father? Is the poor gentleman much hurt? He is dead. No, no, there's life in him. But he'll be gone before you can get him to the hospital. He's a brave fella. They would have had the lady's purse and watch if it hadn't been for him. They were a gang. Mm. And a rough one, too. Oh, oh, ah, ah, he's breathing now. <sighs> he can't lie in the street. May we bring him in, ma'am? Surely. Bring him into the sitting room. There's a comfortable sofa. This way, please. All right, grab his legs. Oh, Lift. Someone get his one, head. two, three. Oh, okay. It's a bit... Don't oh, around, so. He doesn't look that heavy. Oh, he is. Oh, no, he's heavy. Do lie there for as long as you need, Father. Here's a towel for the blood. Please let me know if there's anything else I can do for you. I must confess that my cheeks are red. I rushed in to save the lady, and now she is the one administering aid to me. I am grateful for the intention, I assure you. And as every cloud has a silver lining, as they say, I can now pronounce that you have a very charming home. It is my absolute pleasure to convalesce here. Thank you. What a perfectly well-placed mantle, and this candelabra really quite exquisite. A family heirloom, passed on by my mother. Indeed. Your mother has excellent taste, madam. And what a beautiful flower arrangement you have here. It is striking, isn't it? It's rare to see such a vibrant red flower. It looks positively tropical. It is the hibiscus flower. It's a great favorite of mine. Someone once said that scarlet was a very becoming color on me, and I must confess I have rather vainly surrounded myself with it since. In fact, that arrangement is my wedding bouquet. You've been recently married. Well, then congratulations are in order. What a lucky young man, I'm sure. What is his name? I can't imagine that you would know him. One never knows, does one? And a clergyman is privileged to meet so many interesting people. I imagine that you do meet quite a lot of interesting people in your field. Father? Why, just tonight, case in point, I had the pleasure of meeting you, and you've been so kind to me. I didn't catch your name, madam. It seems perhaps that you are feeling better, father? I am, and it is all thanks to you. <coughs> At least I was. <coughs> I dare say. Is that smoke? I need air immediately. 
Of course. Uh, let me just open this window. A false alarm, I am sure of it. Oh my goodness, Come on. please, there's a fire. Yeah. I, I must get through. Oh, oh dear. I hate the smell. Oh my god. Come on, these scissors are still inside the boy. Holmes, there you are. We're two full blocks from Briony Lodge, and the smoke has just cleared. That was a very powerful smoke rocket you gave me, Holmes. You did it very nicely, Doctor. Nothing could have been better. It is all right. You have the photograph? I know where it is. And how did you find out? She showed me, as I told you she would. I am still in the dark. You, of course, saw that everyone in the street was an accomplice. They were all engaged for the evening. I guessed as much. Then, when the row broke out, I had a little moist red paint in the palm of my hand. I rushed forward, fell down, clapped my hand to my face, and became a piteous spectacle. It is an old stage trick. <laughs> that I also could fathom. Then they carried me in. She was bound to have me in. What else could she do? I motioned for air. She was compelled to open the window, and you had your chance. How did that help you? It was all important. When a woman thinks that her house is on fire, her instinct is at once to rush to the thing which she values most. Ah. A married woman grabs at her baby. An unmarried one reaches for her jewel box. Now, it was clear to me that Our Lady of today had nothing in the house more precious to her than what we are in quest of. The alarm of fire was admirably done, and she responded beautifully. The photograph is in a recess behind the mantel. She was there in an instant, and I caught a glimpse of it as she half drew it out. When I cried out that it was a false alarm, she replaced it and rushed from the room. Why didn't you secure the photograph at once? As soon as Adler quit the room, the coachman entered it, and as he was watching me narrowly, it seemed safer to wait. And now? We shall call on Adler with the king tomorrow morning. It might be a satisfaction to his majesty to regain it with his own hands. I must wire to the king without delay. We had reached Baker Street and had stopped at the door. Holmes was searching his pockets for the key when a slim youth in a long overcoat hurries by, almost colliding with us as he passed. Good night, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. I've heard that voice before. Now, I wonder, who the deuce could that have been? One of your Baker Street irregulars, surely. Now bring the bell and Mrs. Hudson will let us in. Your key must have been lost in the skirmish. Or the fire, or perhaps the carriage chase. It has been an eventful day, has it not, Watson? And that's the last of the mutton. You will need to raise my housekeeping allowance if you expect me to be feeding both of you gentlemen again. Tell me what you need, good lady. The King of Bohemia is buying. Has any word come from Inspector Lestrade, Mrs. Hudson? 
A bobby stopped by with a parcel right after you gentlemen went out. Ah, the bloody dress. Wonderful. I know it is a bit late, Doctor, but would you join me in examining this one last clue before we retire? I would be honoured. Then let us open Evidence D. This seems to rather cinch the noose around our client's neck. <laughs> Not a bit of it, Watson. Madame Montpensier is innocent of any wrongdoing, at least as it pertains to this investigation. But how? Soon, Doctor. If you'll allow me to follow up on a few threads this evening, I promise to reveal all tomorrow. I slept at Baker Street that night, and Sherlock and I rose early to meet the King of Bohemia outside of Bryony Lodge. <sighs> you have really got it? Not yet. Uh, but... You have hopes? Hmm? I have hopes. Then come, let us retrieve the portrait at once. There is something you must know first. Irene Adler is married. <laughs> Mar married? When? Yesterday. <laughs> to whom? To an English lawyer named Norton. Bash. She could not love him. I am in hopes that she does. And why in hopes? If the lady loves her husband, she does not love your majesty. If she does not love your majesty, there is no reason why she should interfere with your marriage. It is true. And yet, well, I wish she had been of my own station, but... Our queen she would have made. <sighs> and now that you know that the lady is happily married, as you will be soon, I believe you will be able to meet each other without recourse. Shall we go in? May I help you? You must be Miss Adler's maid. We are here to meet with her. Oh, I'm sure the mistress wasn't expecting guests this early. She doesn't rise for another hour, at least. You may let Miss Adler know that we have a very pressing business matter that concerns her and must be discussed at once. Tell your mistress that we will wait for her in the drawing room. Oh, dear. Uh, yes, of course. Once we were alone in the drawing room, the king could contain his eagerness no longer. It is here, is it not? Hmm? In this house? I cannot wait. Bring me the picture first, and I will feel all the more secure having that already in my possession when I speak with the lady. It is, in fact, in this very room. It is a very clever little hiding place she has here behind the mantle. First, I must tug on this bell pull, and then... Yes. Do you hear that click? A small shutter slides open to reveal her hiding place, and here is the photograph. <laughs> is something the matter? On the contrary, Watson. It is better than I could have imagined. Let us all have a look at the evidence E provided by Miss Adler. Oh, what a woman. 
But a woman, did I not tell you how quick and resolute she was? You did. <laughs> Would she not have made an admirable queen? Mm, is it not a pity that she was not on my level? From what I have seen of the lady, she seems indeed to be on a very different level to your majesty. I am sorry that I have not been able to bring your majesty's business to a more successful conclusion. On the contrary, my dear sir, nothing could be more successful. I know that her word is inviolate. The photograph is now safe as if it were in the fire. I am glad to hear your majesty say so. I am immensely indebted to you. Pray tell me in what way I can reward you this, this emerald ring. Your Majesty hmm? has something which I should value even more highly. You have but to name it. This photograph. Irene's photograph? Certainly, if you wish it. I thank your Majesty. Then there is no more to be done in the matter. I have the honour to wish you a very good morning. I am grateful, Mr. John, Holmes. will you accompany me to my chambers for breakfast? I'd be delighted. And your majesty, congratulations on your upcoming wedding. May she truly prove to be your equal. I say, Holmes... This morning's paper is filled with nothing but surmises about the future of European politics. I'd venture we know a good bit more than the press does at the moment. Hush, Watson. <laughs> Do you hear that? That's a key. How the devil... I imagine in all likelihood it is the key I lost last night. Good day, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. I have something that belongs to you. Sherlock, it's one of the lads from the street. I rather think that it's not, Doctor. I thought I recognised your voice last night, Miss Adler. Thank you for returning my key so soon after you borrowed it. Do have a seat. It's Mrs. Norton, actually. I say. What a revolting apartment. You sure could use a woman's touch in here. Mrs. Hudson does enough damage. I believe Watson even let her dust the other day. You try to stop her. Your letter said that you and Mr. Norton had left for the continent. A small lie. We leave tonight. But I couldn't help stopping by to see the great Sherlock Holmes in person. This is the first time we've had the opportunity to speak to each other as ourselves. I must give credit where it is due. What gave away my performance as the clergyman? <laughs> I didn't know for sure until it was too late, I regret to say. But as I'm sure you know, I have trained as an actress myself. My suspicions were aroused by the skirmish outside my carriage. Oh, he was beautifully choreographed. And then the blood. I can recognize stage blood when I see it, Mr. Holmes. But even after I became suspicious, I found it hard to think evil of such a dear, kind old clergyman. And yet... In the instant I had betrayed myself, I began to think. I set my coachman to watch you, ran upstairs, got into my walking clothes, as I call them, and then came down just as you departed. Well, I followed you to your door and so made sure that I really was an object of interest to the celebrated Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Then I, rather imprudently, 
wished you good night. And you have returned again. Another imprudent choice, I'm afraid. I'm very glad that you did. But why still the key? <laughs> a touch of the theatrical. You must admit, letting myself in made for a far better entrance than knocking and sending up my calling card. Yes, but all the same rather unnecessary. And now, Mr. Holmes, I have been honest with you, but you are still hiding something from me. Am I now? You visited me as the clergyman, but I think you were also at the church yesterday, too? <laughs> Don't tell me that you recognized me there as well. My ego cannot take another blow. I confess I did not. Not until I looked more closely at my marriage license this morning. I, too, have seen John Hare's latest accomplishment on the stage, which I imagine you already knew. An actress is likely to attend the theatre, especially when a play has been well-reviewed. And with that, I must be going, Mr. Holmes. I have a train to catch. <laughs> but before I left, I wanted to make sure that we got to see each other for what we were. I'm afraid we are once again off-balance with our truths, Mrs. Norton. And how's that? I believe you played one more part in our comedy. That of Miss Carrere, the missing daughter. Why, I never! <laughs> oh, you are good! I wasn't going to let her hang, you know. I would hope not. But are you really her? I mean, is Madame Montpensier really your stepmother? Unfortunately, yes. My father, Robert Adler, was a small-time crook, and we left America when the heat got to be too much for him. We ended up in Paris with a new name of Carrere. He met Adele, and they got married. When I joined the opera, I went back to my old name, as much to distance myself from her as anything. And now it was time to shed that identity? It was necessary. I have certain connections that could create some unpleasantness for the people in my life. Adele is a notoriously difficult and very public person. The more attention she drew to herself, the more likely she would attract the attention of those parties. For both of our safety, it was time to kill off that version of myself. And these connections? I presume they are the same people you alluded to in your letter? The ones that warned of my involvement? <laughs> now, now, Mr. Holmes, one mystery at a time. But, Mrs. Norton, why frame your stepmother for your murder? Oh, that part was just a bit of fun. I wanted to see her twist in the wind for a minute. I couldn't help myself. She's just too horrible. But if she's been arrested... It never would have come to that. The evidence against her won't hold up to much scrutiny, as your friend has shown us. Not everyone is as brilliant as Sherlock. If your stepmother's case has been left in the hands of the police... Well, then it's a good thing she engaged the services of the great Sherlock Holmes. That's quite a thing to leave to chance. Oh, nonsense. And besides, she has an airtight alibi for the night I went missing. She refused to tell me what she was doing that night. Huh. That's because she was in a notorious gambling den in Paris, losing the last of her savings. She's too focused on her public appearance to admit it, but if the police tried to arrest her, she would have come clean quick enough. Then it is her good fortune that she sought out my help, so that it didn't have to come to that. Indeed. Now, go ahead and tell me. How did you find me out? The same way you came to suspect me. The blood and the marriage license. Do go on. 
The blood on the dress was vibrant, a bright scarlet. But once blood has dried, it takes on a much darker red-brown colour. The bloody dress was a perfect stage prop. It was everything you would want blood to look like. But the reality of it was not as convincing. Oh, I confess I am a fan of a nice-looking piece of evidence. When I was in your home, I noticed your bridal bouquet. Hibiscus has been used as a dye for centuries, valued for the vibrant red colour that it produces. And then the will. Tipped off by the hibiscus flowers, I too took a closer look at your marriage certificate. The handwriting of Miss Carrere's will matches the signature of Irene Adler exactly. But I must admit, you put the most conclusive piece of evidence into my hands yourself. The portrait you left for the king. It is a rather fetching likeness, is it not? In your photograph, you are wearing a brooch, one that you were also wearing at the church and upon our meeting at Bryony Lodge. I wear it always. <laughs> I admit it is a bit sentimental, but it was a gift from my father. You were careful to obscure your face in the photo the newspapers have of Miss Carrere, but you did not think to obscure the brooch. <laughs> Wonderful. It's like watching a conjurer. Oh, it is a pleasure to watch you work, Mr. Holmes. Thank you for humoring me and explaining how you put it all together. Now, gentlemen, I must be off. I have a train to catch. Not a bit of it. We must call Scotland Yard at once. Why? The lady. The lady is alive, which means that there is no murder. In fact, she cannot even be considered missing any longer. There is nothing to hold her here. Thank you, Mr. Holmes. It truly has been a pleasure. Likewise, Miss Adler. I say, Holmes, I've just had an idea. Do you think it really was a coincidence that Madame Montpensier contracted your services? I do not. But to what purpose? Why would Irene Adler want to draw your attention to her deception? Now, now, Watson. One mystery at a time. And that was how a great scandal threatened to affect the kingdom of Bohemia, and how the best plans of Mr. Sherlock Holmes were beaten by a woman's wit. He used to make merry over the cleverness of women, but I have not heard him do it of late. And when he speaks of Irene Adler, or when he refers to her photograph, it is always under the honorable title of... The woman. <laughs>